We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go, episode 338 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Friday, June 17th, 2022, and we have a new NBA champion, the Golden State Warriors. They are NBA champions for a fourth time in eight seasons, a 103-90 win at the Boston Celtics on Thursday night to win the NBA Finals four games to two. But forget about Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and Draymond Green and Jordan Poole. I want to talk about the former Wizards on the Warriors. Yes, I said former Wizards on the Warriors. This podcast, after all, is a Washington, D.C. sports podcast. Are you aware of the not one, not two, but three former Wizards on the Warriors. Those players are Otto Porter Jr., Gary Payton II, and Chris Chioza. (laughs) Are you aware that this now is six consecutive seasons in which the NBA champion has had at least one former Wizards player? That is something else, isn't it? Six consecutive seasons. Look, Our team, the actual team, the actual Wizards, may never again make it past the second round of the NBA playoffs. The franchise hasn't advanced past the second round of the NBA playoffs since 1979. But don't ever say that our team does not produce role players for other teams, teams that win NBA titles. The damn Washington Wizards! Exactly. Thank you, Stephen A. Show some respect to our Wizards. And how about showing some respect to the Washington, D.C. area, which got dissed by FIFA on Thursday. FIFA on Thursday evening announced host cities for the 2026 World Cup, which will take place in the United States, Mexico, and Canada. Not among the host cities, Washington, D.C., Uh, Now, the belief was never that D.C. literally would be a host city. The belief was never that the immediate D.C. area would be a host city because even FIFA is aware of how much of a horror show FedEx Field is. The hope was that D.C. slash Baltimore would be a host city, but D.C. slash Baltimore got dissed. Uh, M&T Bank Stadium was looked at as a very possible host stadium, but M&T Bank Stadium did not get the call. I mean, look, I'm not some massive soccer fan, but I do respect soccer. And I'm well aware of how well soccer does in the Washington, D.C. area. You know, D.C. is the number one ranked television market for English Premier League soccer. And yet, the Washington, D.C. market got dissed by FIFA. We're not happy about that on this podcast. But hello and welcome to this Friday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, we may not have international football coming to the Washington, D.C. area, but we do have American football 
in the Washington, D.C. area, and our Washington, D.C. American football team, the Commanders, they on Thursday concluded their three-day mandatory minicamp, and thus, in a lot of ways, the Commanders on Thursday concluded their offseason. The Commanders now are beginning their month-and-a-half break until training camp, for which, by the way, uh, we now have details. Next segment, I'll discuss what the Commanders on Thursday announced about their 2022 training camp, including where camp will be. And I'll go through the most significant things that Rod Rivera said at his post-practice press conference on Thursday morning, at his last day of school press conference on Thursday morning, including more praise for the commander's player whose stock over these offseason practices rose maybe more than the stock of any other commander's player. I'll also talk Carson Wentz and Curtis Samuel. Uh, Also, now that the commander's 2022 offseason is essentially over, not officially over, but essentially over, I will discuss what is to me the number one takeaway from the commander's 2022 offseason. The thing that the commander's actions, or more accurately, lack of actions, told us more than anything. It's a thing that we have heard before. Uh, And I'll talk Nationals and Orioles. Uh, The Nats are an absolute horror show right now. They, on Thursday night, got bludgeoned by the Philadelphia Phillies at Nationals Park. 10-1 was the final. Five consecutive losses for the Nats now. They, over the five losses, have been outscored by a combined 28 runs. But whereas the Nats on Thursday lost in blowout fashion, the O's on Thursday won in blowout fashion, a 10-2 win at the Toronto Blue Jays, whose starting pitcher, former Oriole Kevin Gaussman, got made humble by the O's. Uh, Very good performance by Tyler Wells for the O's, and we had a notable demotion for the O's on Thursday afternoon. I'll get into all of that. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tweet from Jay Foster on the state of the commander's roster, writes Jay, am I wrong? I am starting to see a big boy roster in D.C. This is the deepest I've seen the commanders in quite some time. What I mean by big boy roster is a roster that can contend even if the injury bug hits. Uh, Thank you for the tweet, Jay. uh, No, I don't think that you're wrong. Uh, Now, I do worry about some of the depth on defense, uh, especially at corner and along the defensive line, but the commander's roster is solid. Uh, It's not a great roster, but I don't think that it's a bad roster. I think that it's a middle-of-the-pack roster. Uh, To me, for the commander's It's just a matter of guys staying healthy, uh, being properly utilized, and playing up to their potential. Uh, Much more on where our commanders are at from a roster standpoint in a bit. Email from Sean on the state of the commanders as a franchise. Uh, Write Sean, Al, I long for being able to talk to you about Strictly Football. I fear it's not going to happen. I don't like to overreact, but... How far are we from this team being relocated to San Antonio or St. Louis? In 1991, if I told you that the team would be seeking a 55,000 capacity stadium due to the erosion of the fan base and the inability to secure a deal with any jurisdiction in the area, what would you have said? The fan base that filled RFK Stadium and FedEx Field initially has atrophied so badly that this is where we are. The owner is not known for rational, clear-minded decisions. When he gets boxed in, he swings like a five-year-old girl, overhanded and wildly. The RFK Stadium site, the pipe dream, is dead, per the D.C. Council's letter. Virginia has pulled its bill. Maryland doesn't want to do a deal. Portions of this fan base say, let the team go. We're better off having no team than a Dan Snyder-owned team. Those fans act like we would get an expansion team tomorrow. These are the same people who say that the NFL will remove the owner due to how bad things are. The league will not remove the owner. The league is gutless. The league doesn't care about this fan base. See John Mara and that farce of a salary cap penalty for bias against the team. This all sets up for the brilliant owner to pull an art model and move this team. This boulder of poor decisions, poor press, just keeps gaining more momentum. It's self-inflicted. We still have not hit rock bottom. I truly believe we are standing on the edge of the cliff 
of not having a team in this area. Can winning fix this? In theory, yes. Am I overreacting or am I reading the tea leaves correctly? I wish you continued success with the podcast and in life, Al. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Well, thank you for that email, Sean. Um, A very thought-provoking email, but also a very sobering and jarring email. So Sean is not wrong with a lot of what he said, uh, but when it comes to the commanders potentially moving, potentially relocating, I always come back to this. Why in the world, if you're the NFL, would you ever want a team out of the Washington, D.C. market? That just would not make much sense. Like, why would you leave the Washington, D.C. market for a smaller, less lucrative market like San Antonio or St. Louis? Uh, The Washington, D.C. market is a top 10 media market. And what I mean by that is this. The 2021-2022 Nielsen rankings have the Washington, D.C. market as the number nine media market in the country. St. Louis is number 23. San Antonio is number 31. Why would you leave number nine for number 23 or number 31? That just wouldn't make a lot of sense. Uh, Additionally, there is a lot of disposable income in the Washington, D.C. area, right? Montgomery County, Maryland, Fairfax County, Virginia, Loudoun County, Virginia. These are three of the richest counties in the country. Uh, There are a lot of big companies and practices in this area, so there are a lot of advertising dollars in this area. You know, I never say never, but I've seen this idea that the commanders might eventually relocate, come up a lot lately. I just don't see that ever happening. That just would not make sense for the NFL. And the NFL, as we know, is all about dollars and cents. The D.C. area is a very good area, and so buying a home in the D.C. area These days is tricky, and so if you are wanting to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kel, as in Kellen Hunt, as your real estate agent. Visit closeitwithkel.com, that's closeitwithkel.com, K-E-L-L.com. Book your phone call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs, and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. So the competition for homes in the Washington, D.C. area right now is fierce. You have high demand coupled with low inventory. You know what that means. And so homes in the D.C. area are going under contract quickly after those homes are listed. And, you know, when I say the D.C. area, I mean all across the D.C. area, Maryland, Virginia, Washington, D.C. This is a very appealing real estate market. How do you make sure that you get the home that you want and deserve? Well, going with Kellen Hunt is how you make sure that you get the home that you want and deserve. Kellen Hunt has a mastery of the Washington, D.C. area real estate market. But, you know, he's not just some know-it-all. He is here for you. He listens to you. He hears what you want and then determines the best way of going about getting you what you want. If you're wanting to buy a home in the D.C. area, you need a smart realtor to ensure that your offer is the offer that wins. Put Kellen Hunt to work for you. His website says it all. Closeitwithkel.com. Closeitwithkel.com. Kellen Hunt is a closer, and Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yes, you, the buyer, get a piece of the action. Kellen Hunt knows what buyers like you are facing, and he wants to help. So visit Closeitwithkel.com. That's Closeitwithkel, K-E-L-L.com. Book your phone call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs, and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. Visit CloseItWithKel.com. Book your introductory call with Kellen Hunt at CloseItWithKel.com. If you are trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kel. Visit CloseItWithKel.com and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. Well, as is always the case, I appreciate you listening to the Al Galdi podcast. I appreciate you guys subscribing to the podcast and downloading the podcast. Uh, If you have never rated the podcast, please consider doing that. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, you can give the podcast 
a five-star rating. And if you have never written a review of the podcast, please consider doing that. You can write a review of the podcast if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. And the review can be just like a sentence or two saying uh, that you like the podcast. So we on Thursday had not only the commander's final offseason practice until 2022 training camp, we also had the commander's formal announcement of 2022 training camp. 2022 Commander's Training Camp will take place at the team facility in Ashburn, Virginia. Uh, No Richmond, Virginia this year. No Bon Secours Training Center this year. Now, uh, this news was not unexpected, but this will be just the second time over the last 10 years that at least some portion of Washington Training Camp does not take place in Richmond. Uh, The Redskins held training camp in Richmond from 2013 through 2019, then held training camp at the team facility in Ashburn in 2020 due to the COVID-19 pandemic, then split up training camp and held it in both Richmond and Ashburn in 2021, and now we're holding training camp in Ashburn in 2022. Who knows if the team, now known as the Commanders, will ever again hold training camp in Richmond. The goal with the new stadium, uh, wherever and whatever it gets built, is for it to be part of this commander's world that includes a new team facility, and that's where the commanders will practice and hold training camps. But it is going to be a while (laughs) until the new stadium and surrounding area are built. So between now and then, it's possible that the team, now known as the commanders, will wind up back in Richmond for training camp at some point. But understand that Washington training camp in Richmond uh, did not work out for the city of Richmond. The Redskins' initial deal with Richmond 2013 through 2019 featured Richmond covering the cost of the Bon Secours Training Center and paying the Redskins $500,000 per year to conduct training camp in Richmond. And yeah, that ended up being a bad deal for Richmond. And in fact, last year, the arrangement reportedly was Washington actually paying Richmond $100,000 to rent out the Bon Secours Training Center to say nothing of the cost that Washington incurred of having to ship equipment to Richmond. And keep in mind that Washington last year only held training camp in Richmond for five days, July 27th, 2021 through July 31st, 2021. All of that money and effort for just five days. So 2022 Commander's Training Camp will take place in Ashburn. Uh, The dates are July 27th through August 18th. The commanders on Thursday afternoon announced that fans, quote, will have the chance to attend team practices by signing up for a fan lottery system. More information about this opportunity will be shared closer to the start of camp, end quote. Uh, Also, the commanders on Saturday night, August 6th, will hold a training camp practice event at FedEx Field. Uh, The team did something like this last year, and uh, the event was pretty well received. In terms of the commander's practice on Thursday morning, so Thursday was day three of the team's three-day mandatory minicamp. You know, sometimes NFL teams cancel day threes of mandatory minicamps. The commanders did not do that this year, and I don't blame them. I mean, you know, this team, to me, needs all of the work that the team can get. Now, the practice on Thursday morning ended up being A pretty light practice anyway. Uh, Here was head coach Rod Rivera during his post-practice press conference on Thursday morning on why he held practice on Thursday. My decision to hold practice is why not, first and foremost. Um, Secondly, this this practice was more about the young guys. It really was. I mean, I could have sent the veterans away and just told these young guys to stay, but... But having the veterans here, I think, is important. But it was. This was really about them. We, we, we basically cut practice down to about a third of what it normally is. And the whole focus was on, on, on the young players. Uh, so that's why we did what we did today. All right. And as you heard, what the commanders did on Thursday morning wasn't much. Uh, there was a notable injury item from Thursday morning. Receiver Dax Milne was using a walking boot on his right foot. We're not sure what that's about, but he obviously got hurt at some point. Uh, now, Dax making the commander's season opening 53-man roster already was going to be an uphill climb. If he suffered a serious injury at some point this offseason, uh, then that obviously does not bode well for him, but maybe the injury uh, isn't that big of a deal. Also, receiver Curtis Samuel was not a full participant in practice over the final two days 
of the three-day mandatory minicamp. And I bring this up only because anytime Curtis Samuel doesn't practice, we, of course, all get the heebie-jeebies off what happened with him last season. Uh, Curtis, in the 2021 regular season, played in just five of Washington's 17 games due to the groin injury to end all groin injuries. And remember that there ended up being a lot more to the groin injury than we knew. We this past November 27th had multiple reports that Curtis in June 2021 underwent surgery. He underwent core muscle surgery. We did not know about that until this past November 27th. Here was Ron Rivera on Thursday morning on why Curtis Samuel was not a full participant in practice over the final two days of the commander's mandatory minicamp. And you in this cut will hear Ron reference Al. Uh, That is not me. Uh, That is the team's new head athletic trainer, Al Bellamy. I just think it was about an abundance of caution, just being smart. He's he's had a good offseason. He's been here for the whole program. Um, You know, we we saw a lot of good things. He had a slip last week, and, and, and so we shut him down. He'd come in, do, do the basic stuff as far as uh, the uh, individual, and then we, we didn't put him on the field. Um, we put him out on the field on, uh, on Wednesday, uh, Tuesday and felt really good about him. And then talking to Al, Al just felt, you know what, let's just coach. We're in a good spot with him. So we, we, we we're being very careful, very smart with him. Uh, he's a guy that we think would be very important to us. And that caution, is it related to the groin? Or no, just- that caution just related to, hey, we're going to be smart. So it sounds like there's no reason to worry about Curtis Samuel, but you know, there's a lack of a benefit of the doubt that the commanders get with Curtis, given that they hid that core muscle surgery that he had in June 2021. But if Curtis Samuel is healthy for the commanders this coming season, and that is a big if, but if that's the case, then Curtis Samuel is like a major free agent acquisition this offseason for the team because he barely played for the team last season, but he is really talented and he could really help this team this coming season. I'm actually excited to see Curtis Samuel if he's healthy. Of course, the man who would be throwing passes to Curtis Samuel this coming season, assuming that that guy is healthy, uh, would be the commander's new starting quarterback, Carson Wentz. Uh, So the commanders conducted 13 non-training camp practices this offseason, 10 OTA practices and three mandatory minicamp practices. Uh, You can also throw into the mix the rookie minicamp practices, but those were not full team practices. Uh, Rod Rivera on Thursday morning on what stood out to him the most about Carson Wentz during offseason practices. I think probably the biggest thing in terms of watching Carson is, is how he got acclimated to us. You know, how he, how he got more and more comfortable being around our guys, getting to know some of our guys, developing some rapport with some of our receivers, um, you know, picking up our offensive scheme for the most part. Uh, there's sometimes you really see the confidence in, in the things that he does very well. And, and you can see that confidence spreading to everybody else around him. So th- th- that was probably the biggest thing really to me was just watching him, how he kind of fit in and, and was getting acclimated. All right. Uh, We, as Commanders fans, are used to a new starting quarterback getting acclimated to the team. Carson Wentz is set to be Washington's fifth different week one starting quarterback over the last five seasons. Amazing, but true. 2018, Alex Smith. 2019, Case Keenum. 2020, Dwayne Haskins. 2021, Ryan Fitzpatrick. 2022, Carson Wentz. That is remarkable when you think about it. A half decade for the team of one different week one starting quarterback after another. Uh, Not since you know who was the Redskins week one starting quarterback for three consecutive seasons, 2015 through 2017, has our team had the same week one starting quarterback in back-to-back seasons. I'm a little bit more process-oriented. Yes, Kirk. Hello. We know that it's you. You didn't have to say anything, okay? We know that it's you. Uh, Something else from Ron Rivera's post-practice press conference on Thursday morning that I wanted to make mention of was this. More praise for corner Benjamin St. Juice. Now, I don't like to go crazy over NFL players who draw praise in May and June because so often NFL players who get talked up in May, June, July, and August end up not doing much in September, October, November, and December. However, it is impossible to ignore that both Ron Rivera and defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio talked up Benjamin St. Juice quite a bit 
over these last few weeks. Uh, Jack, in his now infamous uh, post-OTA practice press conference on June 8th, said a lot of nice things about St. Jude's, who stunningly has emerged as the commander's top candidate to be their top nickel corner this coming season. And Ron, this week, said a lot of nice things about St. Jude's. This was Ron during his post-practice press conference on Wednesday morning about St. Jude's practicing as a nickel corner. You know, working Benjamin on the inside most certainly has been something that we talked about doing just because of his length and his quickness. You know, he, he moves very well lateral, and we felt that that would be a good spot to give him a shot at. All right, so that was Ron Rivera on Wednesday morning. This was Ron Rivera during his post-practice press conference on Thursday morning on Commander's defensive players who were not obvious starters who stood out during off-season practices. I'll play the entire answer for you, but guess who Ron named first? Oh, gosh, there's been several guys that have really had some really good camps, and you know, very pleased with what we've seen from um, from um, from Benjamin. I, I think St. Juice has had a very good off season. Um, it's good to see him, you know, back and 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 doing the things that he is capable of. You know, really liked uh, what we've gotten from the uh, young safeties. Uh, I, I think they're they're all you know um, really anxious and eager, eager. You know, as you can tell by the collisions. Um, Jeremy Reeves has really practiced with confidence, and you can tell he gets it. He, he, he understands the concepts even better now. You see him taking charge out there, um, you know, as, as, I, as I like to call them, the air traffic controllers, you know, they're helping with the checks, you know, helping to make calls to get guys lined up and stuff like that. That's what you're really looking for. And, um, you know, um, Danny Johnson, who's played nickel for us, continues to just show, you know, how savvy he is as a football player. Um, you know, just trying to trying to think of the names off off the cuff of my head, um, but just you know, there a lot of the, the those guys have done well. Percy Butler has really come in and and, and flashed and shown us you know that that he has got some, some a, a terrific skill set. Very pleased with that. Like what we're getting from Christian, you know, I, I think he's a, a a good physical corner that will probably even show up more once we get the pads on. So uh, we've got some very interesting young players that, that that'll be really fun to watch once we get a chance to get back here in the training camp and see how they've developed. Yeah, so Ron Rivera right there had a lot of praise for a lot of different Commander's defensive players, but he was asked an open-ended question about Commander's defensive players who were not obvious starters who stood out during off-season practices, and the first guy who Ron named was Benjamin St. Juice. Ron, yes, likey the juice. You like the juice, huh? That's right. Ron Rivera, likey the juice. Uh, Washington took Benjamin St. Juice in the third round of the 2021 NFL Draft out of Minnesota. He, in his 2021 rookie regular season, played in just nine of Washington's 17 games due to significant concussion issues. And by the way, St. Juice on Wednesday night did a Twitter space with Commander's receiver Kelvin Harmon. St. Juice said that he never had had a concussion before last season, but that he suffered two concussions last season, uh, said that he's now fully healthy and that he is appreciative of the help and support that he got from Ron Rivera and the commander's staff. Uh, St. Juice's play over his nine regular season games last season was mixed, but Benjamin St. Juice is talented. And if the Benjamin St. Juice hype is legit, and who the heck knows if it is, but if the Benjamin St. Juice hype is legit and he's about to have a breakout second season as a nickel corner, uh, the way, say, that Kendall Fuller in 2017 had a breakout second season as a nickel corner, then that is huge for the Commanders because I do think the depth at corner is a big concern for them. St. Juice in the slot. Uh, this is a very surprising development. Benjamin St. Juice is listed by the Commanders as being 6'3 and 200 pounds. That's big for a corner, period. That is really big. For a nickel corner, uh, also St. Juice in his collegiate career was almost exclusively a boundary corner. St. Juice began his collegiate career in Michigan, then transferred to Minnesota. Benjamin St. Juice in his collegiate career for Pro Football Focus had a mere seven snaps in the slot versus 740 snaps out wide. Up next, uh, what is to me the number one takeaway from the Commander's 2022 offseason, which now is more or less complete. I'll get to that after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So the Commander's 2022 offseason now is essentially over. Uh, Their three-day mandatory minicamp ended on Thursday. Of course, the Commanders still could sign players and make trades between now and the start of training camp on July 27th, but the heavy lifting of the Commander's 2022 offseason is done. Uh, The bulk of free agency done, the bulk of trades done, OTA and mandatory minicamp practices done. And now the team has about a six-week break until the start of training camp on July 27th. For the record, the commanders per OverTheCap.com have $18.38 million in effective salary cap space. For all of the talk about the trade for quarterback Carson Wentz, having prevented the team from doing more this offseason, the team as it enters this six-week break until training camp has $18.38 million in effective salary cap space. You know, the commanders this offseason made the big move in trading for Wentz, and we'll see if that works out. But beyond the trade for Wentz, the team hasn't done much this offseason. The trade for Wentz is the only veteran player trade that the commanders have made this offseason, and the commanders' principal free agent acquisitions this offseason have been the following players. Defensive lineman F.A. Obata, guards Andrew Norwell and Trey Turner, and receiver returner Alex Erickson. That's it. And all of those guys, by the way, uh, played for the Carolina Panthers at one point. All of those guys are commanders, although Erickson only played for the Panthers last season. But we, in this 2022 NFL offseason, have had some teams making a lot of moves, right? And NFC East rival and the Philadelphia Eagles has made a number of moves. The reigning Super Bowl champions, the Los Angeles Rams, have made a number of moves. And yet, our commanders, beyond the Carson Wentz trade, haven't done much. The 2022 season will be Ron Rivera's third season as Washington head coach. He, over the last few months, has repeatedly said that this coming season needs to be a step-forward season for the Commanders. And yet, the team this offseason hasn't done much beyond the trade for Carson Wentz and now enters this six-week break until the start of training camp on July 27th with $18.38 million in effective salary cap space. Now, I'm not necessarily mad about all of this. As you likely know, salary cap space carries over, and the commanders may well need the extra salary cap space moving forward if they're going to sign guys like receiver Terry McLaurin and linebacker Cole Holcomb to contract extensions this offseason, to say nothing of potentially signing, say, edge defender Montez Sweat to a contract extension next offseason. But a conclusion that I arrive at, and I'm guessing that many of you arrive at, regarding how Ron Rivera feels about this team right now, 
is that Ron feels that the team didn't need to do much this offseason. Because if he felt that the team did need to do more this offseason, then the team would have done more this offseason. Now, I know there is this theory floating out there that our commander's co-owner and co-CEO, Dan Snyder, is having a cash flow problem and that that is why the commander's haven't done more this offseason. And look, I'm open to many possibilities, so maybe there is truth to that, but we certainly can't be certain of that. And so given what we do know, I think that Ron looks at this team and feels like I didn't need to do more this offseason. Do you remember in January 2019 when then-team president Bruce Allen, a.k.a. Brucifer, said that the Redskins were close? It means you're close. Yes, Bruce, close. Uh, Well, does it not seem that Ron Rivera believes that the commanders are, wait for it, close? It means you're close. (laughs) Yeah, close. Uh, Now, the big controversy when Bruce Allen said that the skins were close was, well, close to what? Uh, The skins were coming off back-to-back seven and nine regular seasons in 2017 and 2018. Uh, Not to defend Bruce, but I always took the we're close thing as him saying that the team was close to being a playoff team, which the team was, as opposed to being close to being a Super Bowl contender, which the team was not. But with Ron Rivera, he hasn't said that the commanders are close, but his team's actions this offseason scream that he believes that the team is close, close to being a playoff team. And actually, I don't think that that's wrong. Uh, I have talked about Washington's 2021 regular season. Washington in the 2021 regular season went 7-10. That's not a good record, but the 7-10 record came with Washington facing the toughest schedule in the NFL for Football Outsiders DVOA metric. The 7-10 record came with Washington getting ravaged by injury on offense. The 7-10 record came with Washington getting slammed with a COVID outbreak late in the season. You actually could argue that the 7-10 record was impressive given the circumstances, even though nobody felt good about Washington's 2021 season when it ended. Now, it is true that Washington's point differential for the 2021 regular season was not good. Minus 99. That is a really bad point differential for an NFL team in a regular season. And it also is true that five of Washington's seven wins in the 2021 regular season each came by six points or less. So yeah, you can only go so far in praising Washington for going 7-10 and in the 2021 regular season, but I don't think that it's nuts to believe that an upgrade at the most important position, quarterback, along with better injury luck on offense, along with a talented defense that plays up to or at least close to that talent, as opposed to being the embarrassment that the defense was over the team's first eight games last regular season, along with a 2022 regular season schedule that appears to be far easier than the team's 2021 regular season schedule, all combine to have the Commanders as a potential playoff team this coming season. I believe that this team can make the playoffs this coming season. I believe that the Commanders can be a 10-win team this coming season. So I do get where Ron Rivera is coming from, but I think that it's worth highlighting what we now can say with certainty. Ron Rivera believes that the Commanders are close. It means you're close. (laughs) Yes, Bruce, close. Uh, Now, take a listen to this from Ron Rivera during his post-practice press conference on Thursday morning. This was Ron on Thursday morning on where he's at with his team right now. Um, What I feel feel good about, last year you guys remember what I told you, you what my major concern was. Coming out of this, I I don't have that same kind of concern. What I really appreciate is the confidence in which a lot of these younger guys have seemed to grasp onto the things that we do. You see that they've matured in terms of their understanding, their feel for who we who we can be. I mean, I, that's the biggest thing. I like that. I, I really do like their confidence. Um, you know, you watch Jamin move around and you feel good about who Jamin is right now. I mean, he's, he's had a good spring. That, that That's an awesome thing. It really is. As I mentioned, young guys like Jeremy and, and uh, 
uh, uh, Defoe. I mean, these are these are young safeties that you know, given opportunities, can step up. Um, again, Benjamin, watching him move around, that that's been outstanding. We got a couple of young defensive linemen that that really have have taken. You know, nice steps and strides. You know, Shaka and BK are a couple of them. So you feel good about that? You look at the offensive side and you see that young group of wide receivers. Look at the young tight ends right now getting a lot of reps because, you know, Logan's still on the mend. Um, you know, we were talking about John Bates yesterday, the other day and just watching him and in, in, in which, you know, the, the nice thing is the way he was coached by Pete and then Juan coming in, you just continue to see the growth. And so you feel comf- comfortable and confident uh, because they look comfortable. They look confident. And so that, that's kind of what I'm coming off of as far as this is concerned. Yeah, so Ron Rivera right there saying that maturity, which he last season felt was a big issue for the team, is no longer an issue. And then Ron launched into praising a bunch of young Commanders players, including corner Benjamin St. Juice once again. Uh, You know, I get that Ron is the Commanders head coach, and some of what we just heard was coach speak, but those were the words of a head coach in a coach-centric approach who believes that his team is close. And we'll see if Ron has proven right on this. You know, maybe come this December, the notion of the Commanders having been close will be laughable. Uh, but then again, maybe not. But as the Commander's 2022 offseason now is essentially done, this to me is the number one football takeaway from the Commander's 2022 offseason. The team believes that it's close. It means you're close. Yes, close. The Nationals, uh, <laughs> they on Thursday night got ripped for a fourth consecutive game and lost a fifth consecutive game. Boy, are the Nats a bad team. Uh, a 10-1 loss to the Philadelphia Phillies at Nationals Park on Thursday night in game one of a five-game series. Yes, a five-game series. Uh, this 10-1 loss to the Phillies at Nationals Park on Thursday night comes off the Nats having just gotten swept by the Atlanta Braves over three games at Nationals Park. The Nats, in their five-game losing streak, have been outscored 41-13. I mean, that's like a blowout in an NFL game. 41-13. The Nats this season now are a National League worst 23-43. and Yes, 20 games below five hundred. And the Nats now have a major league worst run differential of minus 111. Like I said, boy, the Nats are a bad team. This week really is a worst case scenario week for the Nats. Uh, The Nats have all kinds of pitching problems. The Nats are facing some really good teams. The Nats faced the surging Braves, whose three-game sweep at Nationals Park gave the Braves a 14-game winning streak. And the Nats have five games in four days against the Phillies team that, with this win on Thursday night, now has won 12 of 14 games. Uh, Hey, Juan Soto was back for the Nats on Thursday night, so we did have that. Uh, Soto returned from a two-game absence caused by a right knee contusion that he suffered in the dugout during a 9-5 loss to the Braves at Nationals Park on Monday night. Soto slipped in the dugout and banged his knee against the bench. Uh, Soto on Thursday night as an ad starting right fielder and number three batter, 0 for 4. But the pitching really is a thing with the Nats right now. The Nats have been desperate for length from starting pitchers over the team's last two games, given the lack of pitching options that the team has right now. But the Nats have not gotten length from their starting pitchers in recent games. Uh, Wednesday night, Eric Fetty lasted for just five and a third innings, and he threw 111 pitches over the five and a third innings. Thursday night, Patrick Corbin was horrendous again and lasted for a mere three and a third innings. Now, he was failed big time by his defense, but man, did he not respond well to the bad defense. Corbin on Thursday night lasted for just three and a third innings. He allowed nine runs, two earned in the three and a third innings. He gave up eight hits, two homers, both of which were by ex-Nat Kyle Schwarber, two doubles and four singles. Corbin issued a walk. 
He recorded two strikeouts. He over his three and a third innings through 84 pitches. What's funny is that Corbin initially looked great. He tossed perfect first and second innings, but Corbin in the top of the third allowed seven runs. And get this, all of the runs went down as unearned runs. All seven runs came after Corbin retired each of the Phillies' first two batters in the inning, and then second baseman Cesar Hernandez committed a fielding error. Corbin, after the error, gave up all of the runs. A homer, two doubles, three singles, and a walk. He gave up a two-out, two-run homer to Kyle Schwarber to center field on a homer that went a projected 424 feet per stat cast. A classic Schwarbaum at Nationals Park. And the Nats in the Philly 7-run third committed two errors because first baseman Josh Bell committed a two-out throwing error. Now, personally, I think that it is absurd that all seven runs that Corbin gave up in that top of the third were unearned. Just because Cesar Hernandez committed an error after Corbin had gotten two outs and then Corbin gave up all of the hits and issued the walk and all of the runs scored, the runs go down as unearned. I think that is a ridiculous aspect of baseball accounting. Uh, So to me, Corbin pitched really bad on Thursday night. This thing of, well, all of those runs were unearned, that doesn't sway me one bit in terms of Corbin uh, having pitched better than, uh, you know, him giving up nine runs overall uh, would suggest. Corbin in the top of the fourth was charged with two runs, and both of those runs were earned. He faced three batters, got just one out. He gave up a leadoff homer to Kyle Schwarber, this one to right center field, and on a 1-2 pitch, that homer went a projected 415 feet for StatCast. So the defense behind Corbin was bad, more on that momentarily, but Corbin himself was bad. Now, because seven of the nine runs were unearned runs, his ERA for the season actually went down, but Corbin now, over 14 starts this season, has an ERA of 659. So, you know, that's not a Cy Young-level ERA, even with the ERA having gone down on Thursday night, and he continues to put way too many guys on base. Corbin's whip this season 178. He is having such a bad season. And understand, he is worse this season than he was in each of the previous two seasons. Corbin started being bad with the 2020 season. He was bad in 2020. He was worse last season, and he's even worse now this season. Now, all of that said, the bad defense by the Nats in that Philly seven-run third inning was amateur hour. And it wasn't just about the errors, although the errors did stand out. Now, I will say this. The Cesar Hernandez error did come on a tough play. Cesar Hernandez, Nats second baseman, committed the error that started that Phillies two-out rally in what ended up being the seven-run third. But what happened on the error was Hernandez misplayed what was a tough two-out first-pitch grounder by Jairo Munoz. Uh, the grounder went off the pitcher's mound and then by Hernandez. So, I mean, is that a play that you would have liked for Cesar Hernandez to have made? Sure. But that was not an easy play to make. Uh, the other error in the inning, first baseman Josh Bell committing a two-out run-scoring throwing error. He made a nice backhanded catch of a grounder off the bat of Alec Bohm, but Bell then made a bad throw to Patrick Corbin as he ran to first base, although Corbin was late covering first base. So that error wasn't entirely on Josh Bell. So you had the two errors, but you also had something like what happened with shortstop Luis Garcia. He in that Philly seven-run third on a two-out RBI infield single by JT Realmuto for a 4 nothing Phillies lead made a weak one-hop throw from the shallow left-field grass to first base. Again, not an easy play, but you got to have some more oomph on the throw, and Garcia just didn't. And then we had this in that Philly 7-run third on Thursday night. The Nats starting left fielder on Thursday night. A-Ray Adrianza, uh, he on a Nick Castellanos two-out RBI single for a 3-0 Phillies lead, dropped the baseball on the exchange from glove to hand in throwing the ball back into the infield. And that drop prevented Adrianza from trying to throw out the other ex-Nat who stands out on the Phillies, Bryce Harper, at third base. Now, I don't know if Adrianza would have gotten Harper out at third base, but that's not the point. Way too much sloppiness by the Nats uh, in that seven-run Phillies third inning on Thursday night. And note who the culprits were here. Three of the four guys, veteran players, Cesar Hernandez, Josh Bell, and A. Ray Adrianza. Luis Garcia is young. He's a work in progress defensively at shortstop. These other guys are supposed to be better. These other guys are supposed to know better, but they did not do better in that seven-run Phillies third inning. Here was Nats manager Davey Martinez during his postgame press conference on Thursday night on the Nats defense, 
and Patrick Corbin. Mental mistakes, the errors. Um, you know, Patrick today didn't deserve didn't deserve that. I mean, we gave him 30, 30 outs today. You know, we gave him six outs in one inning. That's that you can't do that when it, when the team comes in, you know, swinging the bats the way they can swing. So, um, you know, I think Pat, Patrick deserves a little better than that. Um, you know, he gave up seven hundred runs, forty six pitches late. He could have been out of the inning, but like 11, 12 pitches. So. Um, but we got to start catching the ball, playing better, playing a little bit more heads-up baseball. I mean, we really do. I mean, it's not, and it's not just the young guys making mistakes like that. So we just got we got to limit our mistakes. I mean, um, you know, we got to go out there. We got to be ready. We got to anticipate the ball being hit to us, catch the ball, and make the plays. I mean, like I've always said, uh, pitching and defense are gonna are gonna win games for you. They really are in base running. You know, hitting comes and goes. I mean, we put the ball in play. We, you know, we hit. We can score some runs, but the rest of the game, we got to start playing consistent, consistently good baseball every game. So, um, you know, like I said, you know, Patrick. You know, after after that, you know, he just um, he fell behind hitters. Um, couldn't put hitters away. Um, then the, the wheel fell off, and then he couldn't really get back in that groove. So, but for, you know, first, I thought he was going to throw the ball really well today, and then that happened. So. Um, got to just come back tomorrow. We got to come back tomorrow. We got to keep pushing and come back tomorrow and play good, clean, good, clean baseball. Um, yeah, we got two games tomorrow. Let's try to come out and play the first game clean and, and see, where, see, see what it gets us. Yeah, so know this. The Nats quantifiably are the worst defensive team in the majors this season. The Nats entering Thursday were dead last in the majors in team defensive runs saved at minus 33. The Phillies, by the way, were next to last at minus 26. This five-game June NLDS at Nationals Park between the Nats and the Phillies is a battle of the two worst defensive teams in baseball. Uh, By the way, A. Ray Adrianza, your starting Nationals left fielder on Thursday night, he ended up pitching for the Nats on Thursday night. Yes, things were so bad that we had a Nats position player pitching in this game. Uh, We now have had this quite a bit with the Nats over the last few seasons. You know, it was funny the first time when Jordy Mercer did it last season. It's really not funny anymore. It's kind of pathetic now how often the Nats are having to have a position player pitch. Now, the position player pitching was the ultra-versatile A. Ray Adrianza, And he is so versatile, like he can play just about any position on the diamond with the exception of catcher, really. So the fact that he pitched on Thursday night actually adds to the legend of the versatility of A. Ray Adrianza. So that to me is funny. But the fact that he had to pitch on Thursday night is not funny. The fact that the Nats so often since the start of last season have had position players pitch is not funny. Uh, Four Nats relievers on Thursday night combined to allow one run in five and two-thirds innings. The bullpen actually did a pretty good job. Andres Machado officially tossed one and two-thirds scoreless innings. Erasmo Ramirez tossed a scoreless top of the six. Reed Garrett allowed one run in two innings. And A. Ray Adrianza, a scoreless top of the ninth. He did actually a pretty good job pitching uh, in that top of the ninth inning. Uh, The Nats' offense on Thursday night was not good. Just one run, just five hits, just one walk. 0 for 7 with runners in scoring position. Although the Nats did have four extra base hits, a home run, two triples, and a double. Uh, Josh Bell as the Nats starting first baseman and number five batter, two for four with a solo homer and a single. Uh, Bell in the bottom of the fourth, a two-out full count solo homer to right center field to cut the Nats deficit to 9-1 of the homer when a projected 417 feet per stat cast. And then Bell in the bottom of the seventh had a one-out single to right field into the shift. Uh, the two triples by the Nats on Thursday night came from Cesar Hernandez and Victor Robles. Hernandez as an Nats starting second baseman and number one batter, one for three with the triple, which came in the bottom of the third, a two-out triple down the right field line and into the right field corner despite having been down to the count at 1.02. And then Robles came off the bench to play the ninth inning, and he, in the bottom of the ninth, had a one-out full count triple off the center field wall of having been down to the count at 1.02. I mean, the two triples meant really nothing, okay? This was a blowout loss for the Nats, but just kind of funny that the Nats had two triples on Thursday night. Uh, Nelson Cruz had the double. He was an Nats starting DH and number four batter, one for three, with the double, which came in the bottom of the second, a leadoff opposite field double off the right center field wall on an 0-2 pitch. Uh, We are just getting going, my friends, in this Nats-Phillies five-game series 
at Nationals Park. We on Friday have a doubleheader. Uh, game one, Friday afternoon at 105. Yoan Adone will be called back up from AAA Rochester to be the Nats starting pitcher. Game two, Friday night at 7.05, Paolo Espino will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game four in the series, Saturday afternoon at 4.35, Josiah Gray will be the Nats starting pitcher. Uh, Prior to the game, the Nats will be retiring Ryan Zimmerman's number 11. And then game five in the series, Sunday afternoon at 12.05, Jackson Tatro will be the Nats starting pitcher. But this is the state of the Nats starting pitching right now. The likes of Joanna Doan, and Paolo Espino and Jackson Tatro are starting three of the final four games in this series. Speaking, though, of starting pitching for the Nats, there was something good on Thursday night for the Nats organization, and that was Cade Cavalli pitching well for AAA Rochester. Uh, he is the Nats' top pitching prospect. He, per MLB Pipeline, is the number 46 prospect in all of baseball. And Cade Cavalli on Thursday night was good for a fourth time in five starts. Uh, Cavalli on Thursday night in a 3-1 win for the AAA Rochester Red Wings at the Scranton-Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders. One run in five innings. Uh, He gave up five hits. He had four strikeouts versus one walk. He threw 80 pitches, 51 strikes versus 29 balls. Uh, You know, he wasn't dominant, okay? And he only lasted for the five innings, but he was good for a fourth time in five starts. He had struggled in his last start, which came last Friday night, June 10th, a 6-4 loss for Rochester at the St. Paul Saints. Four runs in five innings. He, in that game, gave up six hits, two homers, two doubles, and two singles. Also issued four walks. He did record five strikeouts. We're getting closer to Cade Cavalli being called up to the majors. I think it's notable and I think laudable that the Nats aren't calling Cade Cavalli up now, even with the starting pitching problems. I mean, the Nats could have called up Cade Cavalli to say start one of the two games in a doubleheader against the Phillies at Nationals Park on Friday. The Nats aren't doing that, nor should they be doing that if they don't think that Cade Cavalli is ready to pitch at the major league level. What is happening to the Nats at the major league level should not impact the timeline for calling up Cade Cavalli. If the Nats don't feel like he's ready to be called up, then don't call him up. Uh, what should govern calling up Cade Cavalli is where Cade Cavalli is at in his development. Not how bad the Nats are at the major league level, not how desperate the Nats are for starting pitching at the major league level. So I do applaud the Nats for the discipline that they're showing here in not letting what is happening at the major league level dictate what goes on with Cade Cavalli as he remains at the minor league level. Well, good job by the Orioles in their now-concluded four-game series at the Toronto Blue Jays. The O's were facing a Blue Jays team that is good this season. Uh, the Blue Jays this season now are 37-26 and 26 and are second in the American League East. The O's played each of the last three games of the series without first baseman slash outfielder Trey Mancini. Uh, he was out due to a sore right hand, and the O's played the entire series without outfielder Anthony Santander and reliever Keegan Aiken who are on the restricted list, and yet the O's split the four-game series. A 10-2 win at the Blue Jays on Thursday afternoon as the O's, Joe Angel, were back in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. Yes, Joe, the win column. Uh, The O's this season now are 28-37. and The O's on Thursday afternoon smashed a former Oriole Starting pitcher, Kevin Gosman. Kevin Gosman needed Gauze with how roughed up he got by the O's on Thursday afternoon. Gosman came into the game with an ERA of 267 over 12 starts this season, but Gosman in this game on Thursday afternoon, seven runs, five earned in two and a third innings. That was more like it. Uh, the O's finished the game with 10 runs, 13 hits and two walks, went five for eight with runners in scoring position. Ryan Mountcastle on Thursday afternoon, another good game in this series. Boy, did he tee off on Blue Jays pitching in this series. Mountcastle on Thursday afternoon as the Orioles starting first baseman and number three batter, two for five with a two-run single and another single. Mountcastle in this series, eight for 18 with three home runs, two doubles, and three singles. And he, over the final three games of the series, had seven RBI his OPS for the season is now nearly 800. 
Uh, the OPS for the season is up to 795. Austin Hayes on Thursday afternoon homered for a second time in the series. Hayes as the Orioles starting right fielder and number two batter, one for five, but the one was a solo homer. Hayes in a one-run eighth, a one-out first pitch, solo homer to left field, the homer going a projected 405 feet per stat cast. Uh, Hayes this season now has an OPS of 825. Cedric Mullins on Thursday afternoon had three hits. He is the Orioles starting center fielder and number one batter, three for five with three singles and a stolen base. Adley Rutschman on Thursday afternoon, another productive game for him in this series. He is the Orioles starting DH and number four batter, one for four with a double a walk and an RBI force out. But to me, the biggest bright spot for the O's on Thursday afternoon was their starting pitcher, Tyler Wells. Uh, he has emerged as the Orioles' best starting pitcher this season. Uh, Wells on Thursday afternoon, one run in six innings. Really good work against a really good Blue Jays lineup. Wells gave up five hits, a homer, a double, and three singles. He had three strikeouts versus one walk. He pounded the zone, 86 pitches, 59 strikes versus just 27 balls. Uh, Tyler Wells now has lasted for exactly six innings in three of his last four starts. These days, with how starting pitchers are used and uh, how rarely starting pitchers go deep into games, that's saying something. Lasting for exactly six innings in three or four starts. Uh, O's manager Brandon Hyde during his postgame session with reporters on Thursday on Tyler Wells. It's tough, too, because he's going to pitch count. I mean, um, just that shows you how efficient he's been in that um, you know, he reached it again today. Um, I didn't know how, how far he was going to go. We were obviously a little strapped in the bullpen today. So, you know, first couple innings, he threw quite a few pitches, but he just threw, he throws all four pitches in the zone. Um, he threw some really good right on right change ups today. He's got a good slider. He's, it's mid 90s fastball, and he's not afraid to, to force contact. You know, the strikeouts are down, but it's because he's so, he's so much in the strike zone and, and challenges hitters. Yeah, so Tyler Wells this season is making the transition from reliever to starter. The transition is going well. The transition is going well for Wells. Uh, He, this season, now has made 13 starts. He, over those 13 starts, has an ERA of 362 and a whip of 1.07. He is doing an impressive job. So more from Brandon Hyde during his postgame session with reporters on Thursday on Wells. Well, he's been, yeah, he's been really good for us. You know, he had a, f- a few rocky starts early and wasn't built up, and he's still not fully built up to a true starter, but he, he is giving us, you know, uh, uh, we're going to have to cut him back a little bit at times uh, just because we have to monitor, but uh, he's given us a chance every time out here lately, and, and uh, that's a really, really good lineup that he won six innings against. Yeah, so this season is Tyler Wells' age 27 season. Uh, The O selected Wells from the Minnesota Twins in December 2020 in the 2020 Rule 5 draft. Tyler Wells' Rule 5 draft pick by the O's. And Tyler Wells' success right now stands out with so many other Orioles starting pitchers struggling. Uh, Kyle Bradish struggling. Jordan Lyles struggling. Bruce Zimmerman struggling. And now demoted Yeah, big news on Thursday afternoon. The O's optioned Bruce Zimmerman to AAA Norfolk and recalled reliever Mike Bauman from Norfolk. Uh, Zimmerman was the Orioles' starting pitcher on Wednesday night in the 7-6-10 inning loss at the Blue Jays. And Zimmerman in that game struggled for a sixth consecutive start, six runs in four and two-thirds innings. He gave up 11 hits, three home runs, a double, and seven singles. Bruce Zimmerman, over his last six starts, has totaled 30 and a third innings. He, over those 30 and a third innings, has given up 52 hits and has allowed 33 earned runs. He is reeling here lately. And this has come out of nowhere in a lot of ways. Bruce Zimmerman, over his first seven starts this season, had an ERA of 272. You know, I said earlier this segment that Tyler Wells has been the Orioles' best starting pitcher this season. We weren't saying that a few weeks ago. I mean, for a good chunk of the early portion of this season, Bruce Zimmerman was the Orioles' best starting pitcher this season, but he is in a really bad way right now, and now he has been demoted. And you know, it's funny, the O's teed off on Kevin Gosman on Thursday afternoon. How'd the O's get Bruce Zimmerman in the Kevin Gosman trade? Uh, the O's acquired Zimmerman from the Atlanta Braves in the July 2018 trade 
that sent Kevin Gaussman and reliever Darren O'Day to the Braves. Next up for the O's, a three-game series against the Tampa Bay Rays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Game one Friday evening at 6.05. Dean Kramer will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. Game two Saturday afternoon at 4.05. Kyle Bradish will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And game three Sunday afternoon at 1.35. Jordan Lyles will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Monday show, episode 339, will mark the start of our Commander's Summer Break shows, uh, even though summer doesn't technically begin until June 21st. But as the Commanders now are in the midst of their six-week break until the start of training camp on July 27th, we have a chance to have on lots of special guests and do deep dives on a variety of topics and, of course, discuss whatever news does pop up. Oh, trust me, there will be news with the team over the next six weeks. There pretty much always is news with the team, and sometimes the news even has to do with football. Uh, Also on Monday's show, I'll talk Nationals and Orioles. Uh, The Nats, Friday through Sunday, have four games in three days against the Philadelphia Phillies at Nationals Park as part of a five-game series. And the Nats on Saturday afternoon will retire Ryan Zimmerman's number 11. The O's this weekend have a three-game series against the Tampa Bay Rays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Uh, And then, by the way, the Nats will play the O's at Camden Yards in a two-game series next week, uh, Tuesday night and Wednesday night. Have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you on Monday. It means you're close. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.